Hey, all right, welcome back to another edition of Baseball Banter. I'm your host, Justin Gianelli. On this Sunday, April the 18th, 2021, we wrap up another weekend of baseball, and there is plenty to get to. And, you know, we have a hu- we had a huge series this weekend, and we'll get to that in a minute. But a couple of things uh, to look at. There was some bad weather. There was some bad weather that affected uh, a few teams, especially uh, northeastern teams, and and obviously in the Rockies. We'll get to them too. Um, you had so we had some feistiness. We had we have the Yankees really scuffling right now at, at five and ten, sitting at the worst record of the American League currently. But we begin today's show talking about the epic series that was the San Diego Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we got the news Friday afternoon before, you know, hours before first pitch that the Padres were activating uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. off the injured list to return. And, And what do you know? He homers on Friday night. And that game Friday night was the actually the only game of the weekend televised between the three, and I and I think that was an absolute travesty. Uh, right now, the Braves and Cubs are finishing up Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Um, I, I just don't know how they didn't schedule Padres Dodgers for Sunday night baseball, given the anticipation of this series leading up into the season because of what the the Dodgers have done. They are the defending world champions. They've been in three of the last four uh, World Series. The San Diego Padres spent a bunch of money over the last three off-seasons, whether it was Eric Hosmer, uh, Manny Machado. This off-season, the trades for Hugh Darvish, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, um, giving Fernando Tatis that long $340 million contract extension. There has been so much hype surrounding the San Diego Padres that everybody believes a new rivalry is going to be born between the Padres and Dodgers. And this was the most anticipated series of the season to date, yet only one of the games was televised, and MLB Network didn't get to it until like 11 o'clock, when the game was like a 10.05 first pitch, or 7.05 local timeout in California, but... They didn't get to to an hour later, and you know we were. I mean, Friday night we were treated to the to a dandy. The eleven six Dodgers win. That doesn't do justice. The game went twelve innings. The Dodgers ended up scoring five in the twelfth, and the Padres actually went three innings, the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, where they got the free runner on second base and did not score a single run. And the Dodgers twice because they did not score in the tenth or eleventh. But you had the back and forth nature of that ball game on Friday night, where the Dodgers going into the uh, top of the seventh were leading four to two. The Padres get one of the seventh; it's four three. Uh, the Dodgers extend the lead to five three at the top of the eighth. The Padres tie it at five five, bottom eight. The Dodgers take a 6-5 lead in the top of the ninth, and the Padres tie it 6-6 and sent it into extras 
and it took a Corey Seager go-ahead home run to send the Dodgers to victory. Again, they scored five in the 12th inning to win 11 to six, and it set the stage for what was for what would be an incredible series. And that game got to a point on Friday night where you're talking about you're talking about Jake Cronenworth, Padres second baseman, having to get into the game because Ryan Weathers only went three and three and two thirds innings. Now I, I I believe they're still working his pitch count. His they're working his pitch count up, and you know Weathers threw seventy nine pitches. So for the fourth inning, that's a bit of a high number. And then Johnson only gets one out. Uh, Altavilla goes one inning. Keone Kella goes one inning. Pagan one inning. So guys for Jay Singler are only going an inning. Adams and Pomerantz had to combine for one inning. Uh, Mark Melanson pitched two. Tim Hill, who got the loss, gave up five runs, two earned over an inning and a third. And they had to have Jake Cronenworth uh, finish that inning out. I mean, for the Dodgers, uh, significantly less. They threw seven pitchers on Friday night. Uh, Bueller, Walker Bueller went the first six. Uh, solid performance, two runs on seven hits. Uh, struck out four. Uh, you had Blake Trinan and Victor Gonzalez co- uh, combining for the, se- uh, the seventh inning. Corey Knable, two outs in the eighth. Jansen finished the eighth and pitched the ninth. Um... And then Dennis Santana pitched the 10th. And then you had David Price of the 11th and the 12th uh, pick up the W and strike out four and walked one in the seven batters he faced. So, I mean, back and forth and back and forth that game went. Uh, Justin Turner was three for six in the game. Uh, you had Luke Raley hitting his first career home run off out to Vila. Uh, Zach McKinstry hit three hits. Uh, you know, Corey Seager had the monster two-run homer in the top half of the inning. And then on the San Diego side, Machado was two for four with three runs scored, walked two. Um, you know, you had Fernando Tatis with the home run coming back off the injured list. Uh, Will Myers was two for six. And it's it was one of 19. And there are going to be so many big-time showdowns between these two teams, and you thought that, and you thought that that game was special. Saturdays lived up to the billing as well, and on Saturday you had the benches, the benches clear a little bit after a catcher's interference call on Padres infielder Jerks and Profar on a pitch Clayton Kershaw thought he had him struck out on. But replay showed, and replay got it right this time, that the bat hit the catcher's glove, and that automatically awards the batter first base. So you had Kershaw yelling at Profar, and that game was just, the game on Saturday was just well-pitched all around. Kershaw goes six scoreless innings. He's 3-1 and one on the year with a 2-1-9 surprise. Clayton Kershaw is having another fantastic season so far. Uh, he goes six scoreless, two hits, two walks, eight strikeouts. A scoreless seventh from Jimmy Nelson. 
Blake Trinan pitches an inning and two thirds. I'm sorry, an inning and a third gets him into the ninth, and Victor Gonzalez uh, closes the deal. Kershaw throws 98 pitches over six innings, uh, and then you had Hugh Darvish f go seven innings. He just allowed a single hit. Um, he threw a total of 98 pitches over seven innings, and he got the loss because of just the one run. He struck out nine, walked two, and he's one and one on the year with a two five five. ERA. Johnson pitched the score of the eighth inning, and then uh, Emilio Pagan gives up a run in the ninth that really served as an insurance run that led the Dodgers to that victory on Saturday. So the Dodgers took the first two, and then today you had the Padres coming out on top with Keone Kella getting the victory in a Blake Snell start. Today was Blake Snell versus Trevor Bauer. Bauer gets the no decision. Six innings, three hits, one run, one walk, seven strikeouts. Did allow a San Diego home run. Uh, Scott Alexander gets the loss. Two-thirds of an inning. Allowed one, you know, allowed one run to score after Bruce Dargretterall gave up a run himself. And then Dennis Santana gave up two in the bottom half of the eighth inning. And that sealed the deal. Um, one of the common themes, though, is that I believe it's like the 36th or 37th consecutive start that uh, Blake Snell's failed to reach six innings. And he only goes five today, throws 95 pitches, while Trevor throws 98 over six. Snell, as good as Blake Snell is, one of one of Blake's issues is he tends to struggle with his command, and he throws too many pitches. You know, you want you want guys to go deep into games, but some of these pitchers these days are just not efficient enough to where they can pitch deep into ball games because we are very much in an era where pitch count is important. Pitch count is monitored so strictly that all these pitchers that come up with, with, as big strikeout artists, they just try to strike out as many players as possible, as many hitters as possible, and you know, next thing you know, they're throwing 0-2 waste pitches to see if they chase. Next thing you know, it's 2-2-3-2, 2-2 or 3-2, and they're fouling pitches off. Next thing you know, it's a seven-eight pitch at bat. And next thing you know, you're in the fifth. In you look up in the fifth inning, and Blake Snell's closing in on hundred on a hundred pitches. And that's one of the things that I marvel at when I watch Jacob Degrom pitch because he's so in he's so efficient with his pitches. Yet he strikes out so many hitters. It's ridiculous. And I'll get to DeGrom and the Mets in a little bit, but I want to finish my thought on this Dodger-Padre series in which the Dodgers take two out of three to start the season in a battle of 19 games between the two ball clubs. Right now, you have the Dodgers sitting at 13-3 and three with, the, with the Padres three and a half games back at sitting at 10-7. and seven. So, 
it's already shaping up to be a race where the Dodgers have opened up a little bit of separation, and I expect that separation to continue to grow. And this is everything I thought of between the two clubs. It's going to be close when they're battling each other, but the the talent separation between the Dodgers versus the rest of the league as opposed to the Padres versus the rest of the league is such a wide gap that it's going to be hard to envision the Padres being within 10 games of the division once it's all said and done. And that's going to put them in the wild card battle, and that's where they're going to really have to grind as we get to the dog days of August. And you're talking about a team that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. I mean, they lost to the Dodgers last year in the National League Division Series. So a lot of players that are on this year's team were on last year's team. But nobody, not many people really, not many players really had the experience of going deep into the postseason. Uh, Machado, Machado appeared in the World Series with the Dodgers in 2018. Um, also was the last out. You know, if you ever ask trivia questions, what player made the final out in such and such World Series? Manny Machado was the final out swinging strikeout uh, of the 2018 World Series. And he's one of the few on that roster that has a lot of playoff experience because he was on the Baltimore Orioles teams that were going to the playoffs year after year. Um, he, you know, Will Myers has some playoff experience, but a lot of these players just don't have many. Tommy Pham with the Cardinals, uh, he he spent, you know, years going to the playoffs. So while there's a good mix of veterans, you know, you Darvish pitching that same World Series in the 2017 World Series for the Dodgers, um, pitching the Ranger pitched in the playoffs on some good Ranger teams in in the mid-2010s. Blake Snell, obviously, he went to the World Series last year with the Rays. And the Rays have been a pretty decent team making the playoffs the last couple of years. So we've seen Snell with some experience. Musgrove, obviously, there's not much there, you know, being with the Padres. So, I mean, I think all that is going to play a part throughout the season. And... You know, sign me up for 16 more games between these two teams. And they when is the next time they see each other? They see each other on Thursday for a four-game set at Dodger Stadium. Holy cow. Buckle up a second straight weekend of Dodgers-Padres, this time at Chavez Ravine. So... We're gonna we're gonna get to plenty of that next Sunday night when we do our second podcast of the week next week. That is going to be a dandy of a four game series. All right, on to the other baseball. There are twenty eight other teams in baseball. Weather just sucks, doesn't it? I mean, you, I mean, you got to be kidding me, and especially with when it comes to the New York Mets. And I know the last couple of days we've had some COVID postponements with the uh, Minnesota Twins in what is a very precarious situation because you had shortstop Andrelton Simmons being the the first known player to go on the COVID IL list. Uh, 
But Angelton Simmons had some interesting comments in regards to the vaccine and which is being made available to players in most states, in most states of the teams that these players reside in and teams and players reside in. And, you know, he was very anti-vaccine and, you know, I don't care about that. It's his personal choice. If he's not comfortable getting the vaccine for one reason or another or does not believe he needs it, that's his personal choice. I, I could care less about how he feels about that. My biggest concern is he says that, and a couple of days later, he tests positive for COVID-19, and now there are a couple of twins who have gotten knocked down and had to go on the COVID IL list, and we had to lose the final two games of the series between the Twins and Angels. So, And tomorrow's game is postponed as well with the expectation that the Twins will return to play on Tuesday. Um, to me, I mean, obviously you can't make the vaccine uh, too important. You can't make the vaccine mandatory. Every player, you can, you can encourage it. You can encourage as many players as possible to, to take the vaccine, and that's about as good as you could do. Teams have reached the well, there are teams who have reached the eighty five percent threshold to where COVID restrictions can be loosened a little bit, and um, you know you can kind of resume life as it was uh, prior to the pandemic last March, and you know. I, I'm sure there are, there are players who are eager to do that, and you know, once they're fully vaccinated and get past that little two week window, uh, post vaccination, you can start living your life a little more, a little more normally again. And I think we all in this country, in this world, just want that. We want to get back to our normal day to day lives, you know. And you know, it's it's just to me, it's it's in the best interest of the players. To get the vaccine, but if they're not comfortable with it, then nobody's nobody's gonna force them to take the COVID vaccine. But if they don't get the vaccine, we do run into this problem of multiple players either testing positive or being put into contact tracing, and then games are lost, and then you're forced to make it up later in the year when there's very few off days to begin with. So that was problem number two, and then with the postponements, with the weather, I mean, I mean, have the Mets been screwed by the weather or what? First of all, they got screwed by the Nationals' COVID situation, almost the same COVID situation as the Astros, but the Astros never missed a beat, and they've continued playing despite losing Jose Altuve and a number and a couple and a number of key members of the Astros team who were put on the COVID uh, injured list. I thought it was sketchy how Major League Baseball handled the Mets national situation because, especially at the start of the season, once these guys test positive, you got to find, you got to continue to test everybody and then pull a few guys from the minor league farm system and then you would have had a series. So, I don't know. Why, why Major League Baseball decided that 
the Nationals and Mets can wait, but the Astros have to plug through and they have to continue playing despite losing five players to the COVID IL. I don't know why they just made that decision. But from the Mets standpoint, they lose those three to the COVID national situation. They play three against the Phillies. Okay, they, that all went that didn't go well on the field, but weather-wise, it went on. It went well. And then their home opener was last Thursday. They play that obviously with the controversial hit hit by pitch when Conforto leaned into the strike zone. And then Saturday you play game two, and then. They lost Sunday because of rain, and that was, and that was a big disaster. And we talked about that on Wednesday's show about how it was just stupid of the Mets to send Marcus Stroman out there and warm up, do all of his you know all of his exercises, throw in the bullpen, and then throw nine pitches in game, and then call it, and then you call it off. And you're not playing the game till actually August 28th. I was incorrect about saying August 10th. There's another August 10th doubleheader between between two other Major League Baseball teams uh, due to makeups and whatnot. But you know they had the postponement on Sunday. They had the postponement on Monday because it, it never really stopped raining, and there really was no window to play on Monday. And they at least called that before game time. And it was at least a little bit less uh, less of a mess. Tuesday, the Mets played the doubleheader with the Phillies, uh, making up for Monday's lost game. They sweeped the doubleheader, and then they beat the Phillies on Wednesday. And then Thursday was the Grom Day at City Field. Uh, but that ends up getting get, that ends up getting postponed due to rain. And so we're talking about three, one against the Marlins, it's four, two games against the Phillies got postponed. Obviously, one was made up in a, in, in a doubleheader. And then you had Friday night's game uh, postponed due to, the, due to the snow in Denver. So, I mean, you're talking about all these postponements early in the season. It, it's very not refreshing to see the Mets keeping their rhythm and keeping their cool. Granted, while they're not hitting very much, they've shown elite pitching to start the season. Right now, the Mets are sitting at 7-4 and four in first place in the National League Eastern Division. And their pitching has been the biggest reason for that. You know, their offense hasn't really come around right now. Conforto's still struggling despite, a, you know, a little bit of a wake-up sign at Coors Field for Mike. Uh, Lindor really hasn't got the back going. Did have the go-ahead hit in game number one that lifted Jacob DeGrom to his first win of the season last night. Uh, Pete Alonso hit a home run in the first game on Friday. He is not not hitting too well. McNeil is scuffling. Nimmo they, is the one guy they can't get anybody. They can't get out. Nobody seems to have an answer for Brandon Nimmo. He seems like he's on base all the freaking time. And while it's not a pace that's sustainable, it's a pace that is certainly very enjoyable to watch. And Francisco and, uh, and Brandon Nemo has really been a huge important piece to what to whatever runs the Mets are scoring. Because the Mets are just not scoring a ton of runs right now. 
They're seven and four because their pitching has been superb. Marcus Stroman went to three and zero today with a .90 ERA, zero point nine zero ERA. He goes eight innings, allows three hits, one run, one walk, and five strikeouts. And I saw something on on Twitter that combines the stats of uh, Jacob DeGrom and uh, Marcus Stroman. It, it just pales in comparison, and as well as both are pitching, as to how they're doing it. In 40 innings pitched, DeGrom and Stroman have allowed 21 hits, three runs, six strikeouts, three earned runs, I should say, six, six walks, 46 strikeouts, a combined .6 ERA. .68 ERA. Now, we know DeGrom's the strikeout master. And in back-to-back starts, Jake has struck out 14 batters. Whether it was against the Marlins or yesterday against the Rockies, in which DeGrom fell one out short of tying Tom Seaver for the club record of 10 consecutive strikeouts. There was a period between the... I think it was the second, third, and fourth inning where Jake struck out nine batters in a row. And then he ran into some defensive issues and some bad luck in the fifth inning that found him behind, but the Mets were able to rally in the top of the seventh. Obviously a seven-inning doubleheader, but they were able to rally, get the Grom the victory. Um, They did lose the Lucchese game last night in the doubleheader, but then they win with Stroman today. And then they have an off day before heading to Chicago. And I'm so happy the way Marcus Stroman's been pitching. And he had that gold glove caliber caliber play today, spin around on the back back on the background grab. And you know, while DeGrom's doing it with a an impressive mix of triple-digit fastball and, in my opinion, the best slider in all of baseball. And then you have Marcus Stroman, who relies on pitching down in the strike zone, getting ground balls, getting weak contact, and not striking out a ton of hitters. He only struck out five over eight innings. It's you know, it's not a spectacular number. It's not a, not a high number, but when you're locating the way Stroman is and He's thrown a little bit harder this year. You know, he was about 91 to 93 on the radar gun when he came over from Toronto in 2019 and then obviously sitting out last year. But he seems to be reaching up around 95. And, you know, that's probably max you'll see from Matt, from Marcus Stroman. And that's okay. You know, he, he's good with what he has. Um, it's just his repetition and consistency. And so far you're seeing the reaping of the benefits of the offseason work that Marcus put in to becoming a great pitcher. And, you know, we're not nobody's so for, nobody's proclaiming him as a great pitcher right now. But he is certainly putting in the work that is going to elevate him to another level. Whether he does it or not on the field, that remains to be seen. But you're clearly seeing the work pay off in this early portion of the season. So, despite all the 
rainouts and postponements and mess, and I don't know what the hell the weather looks like in Chicago, um, other than probably windy. And it's been a very nice start for the Mets. Um, and then uh, topic number three is the Yankees really, really scuffling right now. Just got swept by the Tampa Bay Rays, who have owned the Yankees over the last couple of years, uh, including an ALDS knockout last season. And there's there's cause for there's cause for concern. And while nobody's saying it's over yet, they're five and ten. And no matter how you slice it, whether you're a great team with a lot of talent or you're not a good team. You can't be five and ten. You you know, some something's wrong, and when you're not winning, Garrett Cole starts, which was the case today. They lose to the, they lose to finish off the, the for the race finishing off the off the sweep. They lose today, and now you got to go another four days where it's not Garrett Cole pitching. You know, one of the best pitchers in the American League, and and you got. You gotta keep your head up, and you gotta keep clawing at 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 the opponents, and just try to dig yourself out of a little bit, a little bit of an early season hole. You're five and ten through fifteen games. There's no reason to panic yet. Baseball is such a long season, but there is cause for concern because there are some long term issues that are potentially out to plague the Yankees. It's the consistent hitting and health of Judge and Stanton. It's the pitching behind Garrett Cole. Um, I got to imagine Domingo Herman gets called back up soon, and they'll kind of re-slot him into the rotation. Um, you know, it's gonna be an it's gonna be an interesting uh, it's gonna be an interesting next couple of weeks as the Yankees, you know, look to find a way to really bounce back because. They are in a position where they they probably got to sweep the two games set for the Braves at the stadium, but then they go on the road for eight, where they play four against Cleveland, four against Baltimore. I mean, to me, that's got to be six and two. Um, if I'm the Yankees, I settle for at least a split with the Braves, and you know, so that's over a ten game stretch. You got to be seven and three if you're the Yankees. And seven and three right there puts you fifteen and thirteen on the season. You're at least back over five hundred, so you could feel a little bit better about yourself. And you know, the Yankees got to get going. Their bats have to start hitting. You know, you're not going to pin this game on Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole was not terrible today, but you know, there's so much extra pressure when you got to be perfect, but you're not. And you know he was far from perfect today. He gave up two run, uh, three runs to earn on five hits and struck out ten. It's a good pitching line. Go six in the third innings. It's a good pitching line. He got you nineteen outs. They're just not doing enough consistently on offense right now to support Cole or to support any of the Yankee pitchers for that matter. And. That is, to me, the one troubling part of the Yankees that I worry is not going to get better unless Brian Cashman, Cashman comes in from the outside and brings in uh, another another veteran presence or 
a young, high upside type pitcher because there's not really any star power out there on the trade deadline as of now. And, you know, right now at the end of the first month of the season, you know, there's not going to be too much out on the open market in terms of impact pitching. So that's a market that Brian Cashman is going to have to be very heavily involved in throughout um, this early portion of the season until, you know, Luis Severino comes back or Domingo Herman fixes and finally figures himself out. Yeah, there's so much work to do. Uh, the Yankees are just not close right now to where they want to be. So, you know, all in all, this week has been great. And I'm excited to see Ronald Acuna come to the Bronx to play the Yankees. Brave Yankees will be a terrific series. The Mets go to Wrigley Field to play the Cubs. That's going to be another appealing series because, you know, everybody... I don't know one person who does not like Coors Field. I'll tell you that much. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm uh, talking about Wrigley Field. There's not one person that does not like that I know that does not like Wrigley Field. Um, some other some other note of other of notes. Uh, you know, White Sox, Red Sox tomorrow. That is eleven ten a.m. So if you can listen to this. 4 11 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, for you fantasy baseball players, do not forget to set your lineups for the, tomorrow. Uh, if you play a weekly lineup, I'm sorry for you. That sucks. I like to be able to adjust my lineup every single day. But baseball starts at 11 a.m. tomorrow. It's Patriots Day in Boston. Obviously, the famous Boston Marathon. I'm not sure if they're doing it. They might be doing like a virtual marathon or something. But... Get the 11 a.m. start time and early baseball for those who love the sport. Uh, other than that, during the week, there's really no appeal to any of the series. Uh, Rangers and Angels, I guess. Cardinals, Nationals might be okay. Some decent teams. White Sox, Red Sox should be a little bit intriguing considering the fact that um, the Red Sox have gotten off to a fast start and the high expectations for the Chicago White Sox coming into the season. So there's still plenty to look forward to and, you know, we'll see how things continue to shape up. But, you know, we're still in that portion of the season where the division races are separated by a couple of games and, you know, we'll get to the point soon enough where we weed out who's the contender and who is the pretender. So, all right. So that's going to do it for us. That's a Sunday, Sunday night edition. We'll talk to you on Wednesday, April the 21st. We will continue talking about some of the midweeks, the weekday series and who is, who, what, what individuals are standing out to us. And then we will continue on preparing for another weekend series between the Padres and Dodgers. So we'll talk to you soon. We'll talk to you on Wednesday night. All right. Have a good night.